Hello everyone, welcome back to the left page. I am Frank, your always online historian, writer, academic, researcher extraordinaire. I am back from my... I'm officially back from my non-official vacation. I say that because I mostly was off Twitter, while, but I still did put up some Patreon content. Some I'm still late on, others it's a business as usual. Uh, again, it's still year two of the pandemic, so it's fine. I'm, I'm not going to hold it over my head, and it's going to be fine. Anyway, I am back. I had a lovely time with my partner for a couple weeks, and I feel refreshed, energetic, and I have uh, an amazing theme to talk about today. And, well, I'll say this month, because, well, for the sake of being thematic, uh, it's all going to be about this thing. Detective novels, detective stories, detective fiction as a thing. So that's what this episode, this month's reading corner, and writing writer's desk <laughs> is going to be about. So I I will I'll, I'll dive into this straight on uh, because why not? And I have a lot to talk about, and I want to be comprehensive and talk about very interesting stuff and what maybe you wouldn't expect. So <laughs> I have titled this episode, or I will title this episode. Along these lines of from Agatha Christie to the Obra Dinn. Um, because that's sort of the guiding line I'm going to take when I'm thinking about detective stories, investigations, and the role that plays. And I'm going to take a very odd journey uh, via Italy and Switzerland before I go back to Lucas Pope and the Obra Dinn. But, and, and back into the past. <laughs> so past, present, and future. Yay. So... This is inspired by a Romancing the Gothic book, book group read that we had, uh, which was Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile. I, I want to talk about, I'm, I'm not, there are lots of issues with Death on the Nile in terms of Orientalism and prejudices and lots of racism. And I want to acknowledge that, but that's not what I'm going to talk about here. Uh, what I actually want to drive into is this notion of the detective story, the detective novel. Now, We've done a couple of episodes on this with Bruno and by myself with Maeva Chagros on the Nordic Noir. But we also talked but we talked back in the day, me and Bruno, we talked about Sherlock Holmes and about Edgar Allan Poe. I wanted I always wanted that to be a sort of series and eventually dive back into the go through the hard boiled and get into like the the Italian detective fiction, uh, especially the likes of Andrea Camilleri and uh, Inspector Salvo Montalbano, who is really fun and interesting. I have a pretty good idea of what short story I'm going to talk about on the reading corner because it gives me a lot of different material. And just as an addendum, I will avoid spoilers for lots of things as much as I can. I will warn beforehand because you know, some of these are, well, they're definitely well worth talking or experiencing or reading uh, firsthand. I will avoid spoilers for the Obra Dinn throughout. But as I rushed today to finish it, uh, because it was amazing, I I just want to put it up out there that like even as I avoid stuff, the Oberdin, especially if you're into that sort of stuff, is worth playing blind because it is fucking amazing. Seriously, one of the best games, <laughs> one of the best games of the last decade. I should have played it. I should have played it before, but no, it took too long. Anyway. So that's going to be my guiding line, pretty much, as I go into a variety of detective fiction and try to, 
uh, shall we say, find some ordering elements to it. It's it, it's a difficult subject, but we talked about different things, and we talked about Akutagawa's Inner Grove, I think was the original trans the trans or the translation we found in English. I will probably link all those episodes or put them in a thread when, once this episode goes up on Twitter. Uh, regardless, we've talked about detective fiction quite a bit, not just because it's cool and fun. I also am deeply interested and find it fascinating and gameplay wise it's really really good and i wanted to uh, throw obradin in because oh fucking hell's good anyway so let's start off with the basics with agatha christie and death on the nile so i think like what is interesting to bring up at first before i talk a bit about detective stories at large as a historical phenomena and i mean i took a course with my supervisor uh, a couple of years ago and we talked about this but I and before I go into the Italians and a few more stranger stuff I want to bring in how how do these stories uh, do they how do these stories present the crime the investigation and the resolution especially Christy she she did this interesting ordering of like oh uh, there is something amiss, there is a, a weird sort of violence, something that ruptures the, uh, shall we say, the orders of normality and, and tranquility. That happens a lot with Holmes. And as such, uh, her detective fiction and Conan Doyle's a lot of the time can be seen as extremely conservative because in a sense what you have is this disordering that the crime or the violence creates being then undone and restructured by by the detective, be it Holmes, Poirot, or Miss Maple. And what is interesting is when you when you look into these stories, you find interesting elements. You can find some fascinating characters and some good ideas being put out uh, amidst you know Orientalism and the racism. <laughs> and in the this notion of conservatives, there are. Um, there are some interesting notions. One of the various conversations we had on the Romance in the Gothic book group was in terms of the characters. And I will be slightly spoilery, but I will... You've been warned about spoilers on Death of the Nile. They're coming. <laughs> what happens is the... Especially in terms as a book like closer to... I believe it is 37. I will have to check. But... Uh, the alignment in terms of characters and characters that are sensible, they are more towards the, well, the Germans or, yeah, the, I think it's a German or Austrian physician who is sensible while whilst Italians and Latins, uh, put under those terms, are seen as fiery and violent and weird and eh, it's a weird sort of alignment, especially given, well, um, <laughs> uh, what's going to happen next uh, in terms of World War II uh, that's potentially strange and even in terms of like the French are poorly seen and even the English to some degree uh, the Americans as well as this sort of like greedier position and this sort of British resentment but even besides that or alongside it what you have is whole sort of reinforcing order he is he, Agatha Christie does this a lot but 
and, and it is more particular than other detectives, more than Holmes would in terms of Conan Doyle, that uh, Poirot especially, he needs that uh, badge of authority to be like the ordering principle, to, to be this official inspector, this official figure. Um, he becomes this establishment figure um, more than Holmes ever wa- was. Holmes cooperated, but he was a lot more self-interested than Poirot, at the very least, is or was seen to be. And the effect that creates is one of legitimacy, of conservatism, that, well, the, the, the detective, he reinforces order, whatever chaos, whatever, shall we say, uh, upheaval there might be, it is up to the detective to put it back in, in order, whatever violence or crime perpetrated. And that is what Christie does, and Holmes as well a lot of the time. Like They're, they're, they're both these originals, and, and even Poe in terms of his very brief detective fiction, they do something similar, they put things back together. But it varies on the level of self-interest and cooperation with authority and law. And that becomes different in terms, and I will go over it very briefly, because I do not have a specific work which I will talk about in mind here. But the the hard-boiled detective, for all its many, many issues, does something different with the detective. He becomes this, the well, the, the private eye, the private dick. He becomes this outsider kind of figure, like... He is imbued with an authority, but he is outside the official law enforcement. So he's in and out, and he's not always entirely clean, and he makes more mistakes in in ways that, well, you know, all the grime, dirt, and uh, violence that is a lot more present. However, that that does put the detective under new lights then. It's not like, hmm... This is not necessarily a heroic figure. It, it, can, it can still be, and it's usually a he after all. <laughs> he can be heroic, but he's usually closer to this sort of anti-hero or this more problematic figure who is a bit loose and things go fast and intense and it's just a bit chaotic. However, what, what is interesting is that there's a start of a turn there in terms of what the detective is or can be and even represents in terms of fiction and presentation, really. A lot of the discussion of ha- we've had uh, on this particular course my supervisor did was that detective fiction not necessarily created a universal type of literature or subgenre even, but a particular type of reader. And I believe I've said that before in one of the episodes I did with Bruno. And what happens is you as a reader look for clues. You, you play this game with the reader in terms of what you can and can't do and what you're willing to do. Of course, when you add other elements, when you start playing with that form a lot more, it becomes a lot more interesting than just the uh, applying a form or structure to a story or to a tale. Writing detective fiction can be incredibly difficult if you're willing to put in the effort. You can just apply a sort of formula, as, you know, Conan Doyle a lot of times did. Uh, Especially the short stories. It's inadvisable to read many uh, at once in a row because they get very repetitive and very formulaic because, in a sense, they are. The novels, at least, you get some more time. There's a slower build-up, and I think Christie does a good work with it, too. But in terms of shorter stories, they can get a bit tiresome. 
and that turn, which I will I will get to very soon in terms of Camilleri, which is, you know, I think Juhan Mart is definitely in between those, but I will talk about him later because he does something different, I believe, in terms of form at the very least. But um, Camilleri, who passed away uh, a couple of years ago, uh, unfortunately, was an amazing writer and uh, specialist in theatre and whatnot, I forgot the word. What he did in terms of short stories and characters and even longer forms was literally like reinvent the detective novel in a, in a big way uh, with his with inspector or commissary uh, Salvo Montalbano because he is no hero <laughs> he's not e- even really a nice guy he's temperamental he can be rude crass a bit violent aggressive not necessarily sympathetic or or well-meaning <laughs> he has his job as a concern and a thing is like do his job while also having along those lines that sense of oh i i'm interested in the mystery i want to know more it's a it's an interesting tension and dividing line and especially in terms of what it does as a figure montalbano does not really fit in the stories are des- are definitely not formulaic there's a variety of collections of short stories in english and quite a few in portuguese as well and I will talk about it probably on the reading corner about a judicial review because it's one of my favorites. And I'll see if I can find a, an online version link in the show notes because it's really, really fucking good. Yeah, it, it's excellent. And what is really fun is there is a playing of what you expect from a detective and a detective novel and what is being done in terms of execution, how the character feels, how much is he willing to go and his relationship with the official law enforcement even as a higher institutional figure than Holmes, Pahol, Maple or even the hard-boiled detectives ever were he becomes a commissary of, of police a chief of police even I guess translating it properly so he becomes a very clear figure of the institution at the same time as his position isn't really there isn't really that interested in it so he plays a, a, a weird kind of tension. It is very interesting to read his stories. And as I was saying, in terms of the way that detective fiction creates a particular type of reader, and, and again, I, I've mentioned this before, of course, but what it's done is that the relationship that you establish with the reader and the type of investigation you're producing or or guy, or, or moving along, really, is different. Usually in a, a, a Holmes or a Poirot story, you get, you get introduced to the characters, the elements, and then you go along slowly, start getting clues, and you piece together possibilities and ideas. But what happens, and, and that can be, as I said, like that, that can become very repetitive because sometimes it's just about, oh, the introduction, the elements, oh, who can be, 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 uh, oh, it's that one, of course. Or there's, there, there's some cheating involved that's like, oh, you needed this clue discovered at the last minute in order to uh, have any meaningful sense of solving the mystery. And uh, I find that cheating. In, in a sense, what detective fiction does is, is it plays a game. And sometimes the result of the game is very clear. And what is going on is a playing with something else, a playing with expectation, with understanding, with truth, as we talked about Akutagawa's in, in a Bamboo Grove or in a Grove. And Camilleri does that too. 
sometimes you have a pretty big sense of like, oh, this is what happened. This person died. Uh, and that's the person who killed them. It's, it's fairly obvious. But sometimes you don't know how and you don't know the way. And as Montalbano is investigating or is interested or stumbles into it because sometimes he just doesn't care. Sometimes he is like, yeah, I'm not going to bother with this. I, I'm going to leave it be or... I am this this is not my job or I don't know. And <laughs> and that us as readers, our expectations are thrown a miss. Um it's not the mystery, the resolution, or even justice at all costs. Sometimes it's just about the reasoning and the understanding, the solving of a mystery, and it that's it. And that is sufficient. Or at times not even that, or in a way that is plainly unsatisfactory. And what happens in a lot of, of Camilleri's stories and even novels is that the murder or the mystery sometimes doesn't matter. It can be a historical murder, something that has happened a long time ago. It's like, this is fairly inconsequential even. But the mystery is intriguing. The mystery is important and the mystery is fun. And it becomes important to Montalbano uh, to go after it. And that doesn't mean, and that's what, the point is interesting in terms of the positioning and what role the detective and detective fiction can occupy in terms of even subversion. Going a bit far, but, you know, being a bit a bit of a dramatic in an interesting way, being a detective or investigating or solving a mystery is, it, it becomes more detached from the institutional aspect and the, the law enforcement as justice necessarily, uh, that those things stop losing meaning or losing a automatic connection as they did especially with Poirot as I was saying as a further example and it's, it's one I have not had a chance to read yet but I really want to Massimo Carlotto's uh, Alligatore series has a detective who is fairly unorthodox uh, in terms of violence even and things, things get stranger and more elaborate and there are other detective stories, uh, and especially Italians. There's a lot of Italians who've been doing that recently, and recently in a give or take a couple of decades. But Car- Carlotta is also recent, and Camilleri passed shortly. But even have like a corrupt detective, uh, which is a weird twist. Haven't read that one yet. But there is what happens when you start playing with okay, what does the detective mean as an institutional figure? Or as a human being, as someone interested in mysteries or solving or investigations. Playing with that creates some really cool results. And with that, I advance to a third point before I get to the Oberdin. Where everything goes awry and uh, we start getting interesting and weirder stuff. Because by then we're not talking about literature or fiction anymore. Well, in a sense, I guess we could be. Uh, depends how we understand video games. Uh, I, I'm not as well versed in game theory per se. I'd like to be, but uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to talk a bit about it is it's a <laughs> one of those things. This was a recommendation by a dear friend of mine from my research group of history and fiction or history and literature. That's what they're called. And she she's she works on the Gothic and she's currently working on Wilkie Collins' The Moonstone, which is a fascinating uh, novel, uh, a detective novel, 
I'm pretty sure considered as a detective novel by now. And one of the inspirations for Akutagawa's Inner Grove. So, yeah, I also need to read that one. <laughs> but it was a suggestion or a recommendation from her, which is translated in Portuguese by the Swiss author Friedrich Juchenmatt, who passed away, uh, who was a Swiss man. And he was apparently really interested in detective fiction and wrote quite a bit of detective novels. And I'm going to be talking a bit about a novella called The Promise. The other one, the, the book itself is The Promise and the... the uh, it's a very particular word in Portuguese, but like it's the car breaking down. It's a single word. It's uh, the malfunction, I guess. Um... But I have not found a proper translation. But the promise is a lot easier. Uh, so, And that's the only one I managed to read. And it's longer. But what happens... And I, again, I will avoid spoilers as much as I can. But this one I will have to. Because it's the only way I'm going to be able to talk about this novella. And truly go into how everything sort of breaks apart. In a really cool way. And even the questioning of... Detective fiction as fiction, the, the image of the police, the detective, the investigation, the murder and the crime, and even, well, how those things have been done in terms of literature. So uh, uh, the, pre the basic premise of The Promise is that uh, it starts as a framing narrative between a supposed author, which would be Duhin Matt, in this random chance after giving a, a university lecture about detective fiction, talking with this uh, by now retired police commissioner, talking about a particular case which broke, fairly liter literally, his best detective who was a genius, Matai. Uh, yes, I believe that's how his name is pronounced, Matai. And it was a particular gruesome murder of a... Uh -huh. Uh, content warnings for violence and uh, yeah it's it's uh, it's, get, it's about to get awful and bad in terms of abuse and violence and violence against children yay and um, what was the other one I, I probably won't talk a bit about this but in terms of a in terms of mental health and not the best portrayal of that or, or understanding of those and mental illness. So just a warning in terms of that. I, I do not want to be be the, the reason of any discomfort. So just that. And I, I will now be going into proper spoilers and, and talking about the story a bit more, bit more as I dive into how it, it breaks a lot of things apart and how we engage with detective novel and even the role of police, which is really, really good. Um, so, as I was saying, this framing narrative between a, a, a fictional Juhen Matt and this other retired police commissioner telling him basically that he hates <laughs> Juhen Matt for writing detective fiction because it's a fantasy where everything becomes pristine, everything is ordered and peaceful and lovely. Isn't that great? And how it's so awful and not the case in reality, as he's about to tell us with this story of Matai. So, the the essential premise of the murder is that the, uh, a little girl was murdered and there is this fairly obvious suspect who is the person that reported the crime and is a previous sexual offender. And he, he gets fairly lengthily accused, questioned, and then uh, interrogated and 
pretty much tortured for 20 hours, whereupon he, well, takes his own life. So what happens then is that like, okay, it, it doesn't seem satisfactory, but it could be, it could work. And uh, by, that's about half of the short of the novella or maybe a third. Uh, <laughs> that's what happens then. Because what we see then is Matai, who is about to leave for Jordan to help the police there. He basically is filled with regret and, and, and certainty that like, oh, this, he, this, the, the accused died and confessed because he was tortured, not because he, he did the crime. And his life was basically over, so that's why he took his own life. So what uh, he does is fairly obsessively and compulsively uh, do anything and everything in order to cash this murder that there is no real evidence that is there but probably could be we are, as readers we are shown dubious accounts because it is dubious and we're not certain of like it could have been him there's sufficient evidence for it to be but either way and, and the commissioner who narrates the entire story for us supposedly uh he he tells us that like i mean there's no reason to reopen it he, he could be right but as an institution as the police we uh, uh, there's no reason to there are plenty of murders plenty of child murders so we can't we, we can't afford and we can't put the time or the effort to do this on maybe this case so Matai basically goes rogue on his own uh, quits and does uh, an investigation and try to find out what happens all on his own and essentially creates a sort of bait with the little girl because there were there had been two previous murders fairly similar um, which could be attributed to a particular person but that, again there was no evidence and no clues so who knew who knows and he basically sets up a little girl's bait by uh not really getting together, but hiring his mother, her mother, kind of, uh, the mother of this girl, and who was like a previous offender, uh, like a, a sex worker and the like. And he basically puts this little girl's bait and watches her and is vigilant and is very, very weird, creepy, obsessive, and dangerous. And he waits and waits and waits and waits, and nothing happens. There is one account that seemed like it would work because the little girl had apparently been offered candy by a stranger in the middle of a forest. And, but no one shows up. They investigate. They basically berate the little girl for not telling them what is happening. And quite frightfully, uh, nothing happens. Nothing happens. Uh, <laughs> and he waits and he waits. And what is fascinating is at the start of the story, we have uh, this fictional Duhan Mat, the, the retired commissioner, go to this uh, to the place where the, this form, where Matai, the former detective, was holding his stakeout for some decades now, I think, or, or a, dec a decade and a bit, <laughs> I think, uh, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. And the the little girl was older. And the mother was there too. So it's like, they were all alive and we know that already, but nothing happens in, in the middle of the story. However, the, the narrator then tells us, the commissioner, 
that this story has a climax, a terrible climax, but a climax nevertheless. And as we're told, it is this uh, sort of rich dowager uh, who is old and, and about to pass away, uh, who will receive like her her last blessing and her last confession, and then basically tells her that it was her husband who had did, done the murders, confessed to her, but she didn't want to get involved and didn't want to was because he was so nice and so gentle then but then she realized that he was going to commit a fourth murder which was going to be uh the little girl that the detective was using as bait and she basically got him riled up and violent to the point where he uh got in a car accident and died uh and that's essentially where the the story ends um he, uh, the commissioner tells him that he went to speak with Matai and Matai basically did not, chose not to react. And looking back at, at, at the beginning of the story, Matai still says that he's still waiting for the criminal to come. And that is one story that plays with the idea of the detective fiction, the, what, what the, what we as readers expect or are led not to and were currently being questioned or pushed, pressed against the wall of like, yeah, you, you thought about this, but like, it's, it's not that easy or that's not going to happen. I was like, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a climax, but this, it's, it's not going to be nice. It's not going to be good. What we see is this, at the end of the day, what prevailed was chance. Sure, may, maybe Matai's trap or, or setup was, he, he was right after all in his investigations and his obsessive search. But he couldn't give it up. He couldn't accept that, like, he was no hero. <laughs> um, he did something that maybe okay, maybe was a provocation and that uh, accelerated the death of the murderer, uh, if accidental. But no, he, he couldn't. He couldn't. And it is a very intense story in terms of the riling up that Matai gets up to. And even in the sense of how how to understand a crime or how to understand an investigation, and in terms of resources and like how much does an institution, an institution as awful as the police, wherever it may be, can can do, and and what happens then? I mean, they they effectively torture them into to suicide, uh, which is uh, not very nice, is it? Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, and and the, the retired commissioner uh, does say at one point that like no, the the, the police is necessary um, because crimes happen. It, it, there would be no police if there were no crimes. Where you know that that logic is uh, we know uh, reversed. Uh, police effectively uh, <laughs> raise criminality up. Yay! But it is inter. Uh, I, I was mentioning those things like subversion. This both questions what the police force as an institution is and can do, and how it's like, well, talk about deadlines and pressure, and just like, well, we everyone knows that, like, or I mean, in terms of audience, a lot of you probably already know that, but you know, torture doesn't work, <laughs> um, torture never works, uh, <laughs> because at the end of the day, and what happens in this story, you say anything in order to get away from a situation. And, you know, you, you confess and then you realize, oh, I confess, I'm going to go to prison basically forever. Um, my life's over, so I might as well. Yeah, pretty, pretty gruesome. 
and what happens what happens next is is this questioning of like what how do we understand detective fiction and how do we understand these stories in terms of investigation and what results can we take from this in a sense there is a sort of peace of mind with the resolution and the climax that good like there there will be no further violences like the ones that uh, Mathai was investigating and trying to stop his motivations like but think of the children <laughs> quite literally that like more children could be at risk uh, I need to continue on to this I've been I've been passive about the whole thing uh, because I was leaving and I, I need to take action so he, he dives into it but it's thinking in wider terms but what happens in, with that in terms of like we as readers and how we're engaging with that is that like the, the the his actions really didn't do as much and his posture and his uh, actions at the end is like that he needs this to happen but it's not going to happen especially not anymore and i don't know maybe maybe the account is wrong but we don't know that there were there have been no murders anymore since that since the the one that they investigated so maybe nothing else will happen <laughs> isn't that interesting isn't that intriguing and bizarre and <laughs> a lot more difficult to deal with? In a sense, what, what happens and what this story is telling us or showing or offering is what if you invert the detective novel in a sense that like, yeah, what if it is up to chance? What if it isn't just a mystery to be solved or what solution can you have with these elements? And what happens is essentially a story of obsession. It is it is a wonderful story, and I still recommend it. It 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 it, it inverts things. Instead of being this logical reasoning that is established and that is a part of the narrative, it ends up being all up to chance or other events that weren't even couldn't be taken into account because they were not involved. So, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating story. And now, as I advance, return, or twist up into away from the realms of literature into fic into video games, return the return of the Obra Dinn by Lucas Pope, uh, who is also developer and artist of Papers Please, uh, which I uh, you know Papers Please still one of my favorite games of all time, and Obra Dinn probably as well, and really really good and interesting. So I also I, rec I can't recommend them both enough. And I will avoid spoilers for Oberdin as much as possible. But the sense, uh, the, the basic premise is, this ship, the Oberdin, has returned. It, it was gone. It had disappeared after a problematic voyage. Everyone's gone. The crew of sixty is uh, gone, just gone. And you, as the insurance, the chief uh, inspector for insurance claims, you go to the Oberdin, and you need to investigate what happened and what happened and piece together the fates of all 60 souls on board whether they survived and escaped whether they died how they died someone killed them who how and you go filling in the blanks and what adds <laughs> insult to injury you have no idea who anyone is you have some reference materials you have the crew manifest you have a few drawings of of the crew and you have a map. You have a map of the voyage and a map of the ship. And that's it. That's all you got. You you don't have anything else 
to help you. Well, I say nothing else. You have a, a little pocket watch, Memento Mortem, uh, Remember Death, uh, which is, <laughs> it allows you to go back to the exact moment, a few seconds before, uh, where people died. And from then on, you go piecing together the deaths of everyone on board. Well, you know, they, some of them might be alive. Who knows? I'm not telling you. Uh, and you realize what happens. It is fascinating. It's a wonderful detective game uh, in terms of logic and deduction because you you need to find out the clues you have and then start piecing together and going for assumptions and deductions. And the game is wonderfully well structured and uh, it's just it's just excellent. It's just really good. And what is interesting is that ultimately like you know the end result you, you know like pretty much they're all dead <laughs> but you're figuring out how and you're figuring out cause and consequence and you're piecing together the way things have happened throughout the story and ultimately the why's involved like um why did this happen how in what way and it is a wonderful story it is so good so dark and horrible, and it's got so many surprises in it, and I'm not going to tell you much more about it. What I want to talk about is how, what happens when you take these stories and these detective fictions, and you start piecing it up in different ways. We're talking about this, uh, detective fiction creates a type of reader. So what happens if you're no longer a reader, but the inspector yourself, the detective yourself? And in terms of a video game, especially in this case, and I mean, it varies. We have Disco Elysium, for example. But in this one, at least in terms of it being a lot more, shall we say, inverted commas, linear, because it's not really. Because uh, <laughs> you, you, you start from the end and you work your way backwards. Is what happens when you're participating, when you're engaging with that and you're doing that work in a way that, like, especially in terms of video game, that you can't really fail i mean i suppose you could fail but ideally you won't because uh, you're playing the game you want to solve the mystery and the game tells you in interesting ways you are told of correct uh, predictions or reasonings are in pairs of three up all the way up until the end and you complete the full 60 but it is it, it's just wonderful in the sense that how do you engage with that and how do you do this? Uh, how do you do this process and how do you as a reader or a player do this investigation? How do you interpret? How do you engage and understand? What clues are relevant? What do you need to look for? And what is fascinating is that like, okay, in this particular scene, this person is bleeding out because they've been stabbed. But who stabbed them? When? And you need to figure out in different scenes as you go through different death scenes uh, who did this, when, how. Because you you have a lot of options to to posit how did people die. Was it disease? Were they stabbed? Uh, were they knifed? Were they killed by a sword? Were they shot? Were they torn apart? Axed? Uh, what else? There's, there's plenty. Burned? There's more. Uh, there isn't impaled, but there is speared blown up, shot by cannon or gun. Uh, you know, there's there's a comprehensive list of options. And, you know, you, you go, you piece them out. You need to piece them out. And especially in terms of identification, like, oh, who is this? What clues do we have? And, oh, this. Like, oh, my God. 
it's it's a wonderful game. It's a wonderful game. And it's one that puts you in this role of the detective in a scenario where everything's already passed. You're, you're basically you're working for an insurance company. You're not you're not doing anything like, oh, you're bringing people to just no. They, these people are already dead. You're you're just putting the pieces together. You're solving a mystery for the sake of it. I mean, sure, you're working for the insurance company, but that's not really your motivation. Your motivation is the mystery. And in a sense, you you return to that idea that like it's not really and a little ultimately detective fiction isn't about justice. Uh, it's about a mystery. It's about logic and, and reasoning or the subversion of those, of intrigue, of conspiracy. And at the end of the day, as you're solving the story and like the 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 resolution of the game and the the piecing of all the pieces, it's um. It helps no one, and the, nobody cares anymore. Like you've, you've submitted your report, and that's it. That's that's all you had to do. And you, you in a sense, you've done your job. Uh, going back to Camilleri uh, and Montalbano, you're there to do a job, and you're going to do it. But you can also work on the mystery too. And as a player, that's a lot more interesting. I say that because the book is divided. You basically fill up a book of with the the tragedy and the the adventure and tragedy of the Obradin, and there's one chapter that is locked off and is basically review you only reveal at the end if you did everything else. So, if you've done everything and you you got it right and the game told you, you got it right and you do the ending and you solve it, that is for your own benefit ultimately. And it puts a fun spin into it that why are you doing this? Why are you solving the mystery of the Obradin? You're not laying anything to rest. You're not laying any demons to rest. You're not bringing salvation or tranquility to anyone. You're solving a puzzle, ultimately. Um, and that's what it's all about. That's what detective fiction has always been about. And I won't, I won't spoil the game. I won't tell what happens or what happens alongside it or what you investigate or uncover but it is it is a great deal about what drives us as readers as players or in my case as researchers into understanding what what is the mystery that guides us in particular what are we trying to solve or understand or or break apart really because the, the, it's the multiple movement that exists then and there it is about solving something, but it's also about, okay, how do I engage and understand this structure? Like Juhanmat did in, in The Promise, that is like, okay, but does this, what if I what if I break this down into a million tiny pieces and then I put it back together and it becomes this almost pathetic tale of the downfall of a man by an obsession and then this almost comical ending that's like, oh... He, uh, he he's dead already what a by a via tragic unfortunate accident or fortunate i guess and, and we as readers as investigators what what response are we left with what are we remaining in terms of how do we understand and look at it are we dissatisfied are we pleased has the mystery solved has justice been made what role does justice play in terms of investigation for the obradin Pretty much everyone's dead. <laughs> Although, admittedly, in terms of the insurance claims, you you do 
uh, prove some interesting stuff and allow some money and some restitution to fall to some of to many of the people that di that died or the confiscation of their estate and assets because they were murderous monsters. <laughs> so, in a sense, you could be doing some justice, but to the people themselves, their fate has been sealed. It's over. It's done. And it, it, what? how do we understand the mystery? How do we understand investigation? And how do we understand violence and uh, any possible type of closure in that regard? Of course, as you know, as someone interested in social justice and truth and and a, a, a better world being possible, uh, the understanding that like this investigation, this search for truth and understanding and, and innocence or, and guilt in this regard is still important uh, in terms of understanding, especially working within a capitalist system. But the role we give to it and how we engage with it is, is still... It's not a closed-off, easy question, because as Montalbano, as Juhin Matt, as even the Aubergine puts us, there is no automatic connection. The way we look at a mystery or an investigation and the way we look at justice, and to add that third element, we look at the police force and an institution or the courts or whatever as a third thing, they're not all connected things and they're not all automatic. It... It remains to see or it remains for us to engage and understand and interpret and question and criticize that we, we engage and understand these institutions and how we are willing or not to ultimately say that this makes sense or no, this doesn't make sense or no, this, this is problematic or well, all cops are bastards or, or that the court systems are the very bourgeois structure, basically law works for the wealthy and not for everyone <laughs> not not how they're ultimately structured and and how do we understand these mysteries these violences or these disasters and uh, these tragedies and how do we understand handling with them and how do we understand mysteries i i <laughs> i've been saying this a lot i i don't have that many answers i offer questions um possibilities perhaps to how can we understand this? I feel like ultimately what all these points give us is that detective fiction can be a lot of things and can be a lot of other things than Holmes or Christie um, or <laughs> than what Conan Doyle or Christie did, um, which is good. There's We've moved on and there's a lot more that can be done and there's a lot more that has been and is being done. And it's important to, to do it, to go after it, to write it, to read it, to understand it, to question, to interpret, to criticize. And it is an open field, really, um, for us to engage with, to understand, to write and read and create and play. Uh, <laughs> uh, as, as we see, the mystery guides us a lot of the time, be it in terms of research, understanding, discovery, or simply understanding an internal logic. And these mysteries that detective stories offer and can offer us are many, and there's many out there. And we can engage and interpret them in really interesting ways that go beyond simple senses of like, oh, but the detective is always this restructuring figure of order and conservatism, and that's not true. Or it's like, oh, but 
the these stories are always superficial they're always on the high class and high classes and these particular murders and like not always there's there's other things uh and there's other people and there's other involvements there there's a lot that is done and there's a lot that can be done ultimately it is it is a mystery what can be uh done written read all of it but it is something for us out there to play with, to engage, to find, understand, and create. And to play with and question and recreate all these relationships with justice, with police, uh, with whatever, how we understand of mystery or violence. Uh, we talked about Nordic Noir, after all. And that does some really interesting and new things with a particular field and time and space. Um, and even beyond that afterwards. So, there's a lot. There's a lot out there. And detective fiction, there's still a lot more to talk about. And I will talk a bit more about it, probably in the writer's desk and reading corner this month. Still of December. But for now, I, I leave you with, from Christie to Biobradin, how detective fiction can and has changed. And how it can still continue to change and be interesting and be weird and be fun. And be enjoyable and be gruesome. And be so, so many things for us to play with at the end of the day. So thank you so much for listening to, to The Left Page and to me. And uh, back, getting back into the swing of things for the end of the year. Um, and this longer freeform solo episode, which I do enjoy doing. So I hope you enjoyed. Please check out uh, our Twitter at leftpagepod and our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash leftpage where we have both the reading corner, where I talk about something else, be it a more academic or literary thing that doesn't make it into a full episode all on its own, and the writer's desk, where I talk about the perspective, talk about fiction and writing and politics from the perspective of a writer and how do you write or at least consider, question or think about these things. So a lot to it there too. So do check out our Patreon, support us if you can. If you can, that's perfectly fine. Your listenership already means the world to us and, or to me. <laughs> and thank you for listening. Thank you for enjoying. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. This has been a really fun chat, all, all, all on account of Romancing the Gothic once again. So thanks, Sam. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Hope you have a nice time, a nice end of the year. Uh, happy holidays and a good end of 2021 as we enter into 2022 and three years of the left page and lots of good stuff and more of my masters because I'm still doing it <laughs> barely started um it's gonna be fine so yeah thank you for listening thank you for being here hope you have a wonderful time wonderful holidays and end of the year and I will you see you very soon uh, for more left page for more patron content for more of Frank more history, more politics, more literature here, there and everywhere so thank you so much for listening and till the next one <laughs>